Well, hello there. This is Jonathan Edwards. Welcome back to the podcast. This is pureandsimplebible.com. And we are going to have a wonderful conversation today with a young preacher in training named R.C. Cope, Russell Cope. And uh, he is a young man from Oakdale, California. Really great guy. Uh, I would call him a good friend, and I've enjoyed getting to know him better over the last several months and years. It's a challenging Bible study on sexual immorality and pornography, but I do believe it will be a healthy conversation for you to listen to and participate in. So let's get started with it, shall we? R.C. Russell. What does the C stand for? Curtis. Russell Curtis. Russell Curtis Cope. Welcome back. You're this is the first time you're in, in the studio with me. I know. I'm excited about it. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, if people didn't know who you were and say this is the first episode they've ever listened to of my podcast, why don't you take a moment to uh, introduce yourself, where you're from, what you do, that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds good. My name is Russell Cope. I come from Oakdale, California. I'm currently out here in Texas, but I am from California. I worship at the congregation in Oakdale, and actually, I work at the congregation with Oakdale. I study under Brother Jimmy Cading, which has been a great blessing to me. I've mm-hmm. been able to do so the past couple of years, and that's really been the privilege of my life. I hope here in the next couple years to start my own work, to start preaching, but for now, I'm in Oakdale and soaking up and enjoying every moment about it. I'm a college student. Uh, I have just one semester left until I'm, or two semesters left until I'm out of college. I'm trying to get a degree in finance, but really I'm just hoping to preach and thankful for every opportunity I'm given. There you go. And we jokingly say you're the youth pastor, yep. right? I'm sure you've heard that <laughs> uh, several times, but in seriousness, you're not a youth pastor. You're a uh, an apprentice in, in the way that Timothy apprenticed Paul in the Bible. That's our in the churches of Christ, the, the way that we train our preachers is through apprenticeships. And I guess the connection I have to you through Jimmy is that Jimmy apprenticed under my dad. And so Jimmy was around our house all the time. And for it to <laughs> to turn into this, where Jimmy's now the, the preacher who is teaching a younger man, is really just a, a fun, cool uh, circle to kind of see it go all the way around. He's such a great guy. He's an absolutely great guy, and he's a great preacher, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that I get to know him. Well, he's a great preacher. This isn't the hype Jimmy hour, but uh, <laughs> he's a great preacher to me, not simply because he has a great public speaking ability, which he does. I, I could listen to Jimmy every day, but it's his works that he's doing during the week, not just on Sunday, that make him so effective. I feel like his training and Bible studies and it's obvious that the fruits are there. So, hundred percent. I mean, this is a little off topic, but of what we're going to talk about. But the biggest thing that I've learned from Jimmy is just the importance of personal work. I mean, sermonizing is so important, and it's what people hear when they come to church. But really, a lot of the mountains are moved behind the scenes with Bible studies mm-hmm. and conversations. And Jimmy has put such an emphasis on that, and I think that's at least to me such an important part of what preaching is I mean you know sermonizing is what we think of when we think of preachers you know they go out there and they hold gospel meetings and they give sermons and that's great and that's important but really the real work comes from personal work from Bible Mm -hmm. study and so that's what I really tried to dedicate most of my time to is 
Bible studies. And if anybody out there is considering preaching and what that takes, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people. It's a lot more than just giving sermons. Now, I don't know everything. I'm not even a full-time preacher even, but I do right. know that that's such an important part of preaching is the actual nitty-gritty Bible study personal work. And glad Jimmy taught me that. You possess something for a young man that I observe others in your generation that, that sometimes struggle with. And maybe it's every generation, and now that I'm just older, it, we, we tend to look at the lower generations as though they were the ones with the, the issues, right, instead of our, our own. I'm sure people thought this about my generation as well. But I look at your generation, and, and a lot of times I see young men who are just not, not motivated to do a lot. They're just content to coast. And when I look at you, I see someone that there's like a there's a spark, there's a flame within you. You're want you're it's like you're hungry to be more, to do more. What's the, tell me about that? I guess part of your personality. Where does this drive come from? Well, first of all, I really appreciate that. That's a kind thing to say. Um, honestly, this might be a cliche answer, but there is a lot of people out in the world that need to be saved, mm. and there is not as there's had a lot of preachers out there and we need people to get out there and share the gospel and now as a disclaimer you don't need to be a preacher to share the gospel you know churches right. are built through strong congregational teachers strong members strong wives strong women right but people need to get out there that can preach and preach because a difference need to be needs to be made and i'm just so persuaded and so convicted that if we put in the work we'll see results and that doesn't mean numbers that doesn't mean anything in particular necessarily but uh, in fact you know a verse that sticks with me a lot I can't remember exactly the verse but I heard you give it in a sermon and it never left uh, it's in Isaiah uh, God's word will not come back to him void oh yes one of my favorites Isaiah 55 verse 11 yes that's exactly right and that's how I feel about it you know sometimes this is what I actually talked about at the 4th of July meeting over there in Springfield is sometimes when we're spreading the gospel we get so in our own heads about ourselves but something that really motivates me and something that really keeps me going is that the power is not in us sometimes it's so easy to think about well that's a very talented preacher that's a very talented young woman and those are true but at the end of the day anybody can be talented because the power is not in us the power is in the seed when you think of the parable of the sower for example in Matthew 13 ironically the only thing the parable of the sower is not about is the sower. Mm. It's about the seed and it's about the soil. Yeah. And it's about the power of the seed. And your yeah. only responsibility as a sower is to sow. And so that's what I want to do. I love it. I love that. I'm I'm a little uh, embarrassed. I don't know if I've ever thought that about that parable, that the sower doesn't get the uh, any attention. But that's a really good point. I was on my phone app, uh, my Bible app on the phone, the things that you're thinking of make me think of Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that seems to be um, maybe a, a biblical summary of the things that you just said. It's not about us. This drive that you have is... There's a book that I read, and I read it with young preachers. Maybe you read it with Jimmy. Uh, let's see. Preacher, Man, and Method, Stafford. Mm -hmm. North, Stafford North mm -hmm. and I think in the early chapters it talks about these eight different qualities 
that that young men should have who want to preach. And uh, one of the activities is to choose three out of the eight and write an essay. Uh, does Jimmy make you write essays or do any writing? Yeah, he has me do some writing. I've never quite written an essay, but I've written out Bible studies and stuff before. Okay. Um, well, then the young men will want to go study with Jimmy and not me because I, <laughs> I'll make him write a 500-word essay every week. And uh, But one of, of my essays that I have them write is about those three. And uh, we're off topic of what we're going to, to talk about, but... In those eight qualities, one of them that really resonated with me was the sense of burden. Like, if who who would I be if I didn't do this? Or what would it mean to the kingdom if I didn't do this? I feel so called to be this jar of clay. I want to be the vessel to help get that uh, treasure to other people's hearts. And that's, I guess, what I, I sense in you as well, is that you're, you have a sense, a drive, a burden to share what is good because you've received what is good and as the scripture says uh he who has been been forgiven much loveth much and he's been forgiven little loveth little i've been born and raised in the church of christ but i hope that i can appreciate that just because i was born in it doesn't mean that i was saved because of that Mm -hmm. i'm saved because i became a sinner of my own free will and uh jesus saved sinners so praise god for that yeah now, you're uh, bringing a study. People who maybe didn't get the chance to look at the title of it are going to be like, oh, we're talking about evangelism or we're talking about uh, preacher training. You want to talk about sexual immorality. And uh, the subtitle is Finding Biblical Morality in an Immoral World. So uh, I think for people in the church, probably we're not going to discuss anything that they haven't heard before. But what if somebody is you know, from the world that happens to stumble Mm -hmm. across this podcast. Um, Can you maybe just for a moment summarize that thought, finding biblical morality in an immoral world? What what does that mean? So something that stands out to my mind is whether you're in the church or whether you're not, some of the stuff that I'd like to talk about is very prevalent to all of us. Sure. Um, Sometimes it's very easy uh, being a Christian, to think that other Christians around you don't struggle with different sins, particularly of a sexual nature, and just to be forthright, we'll talk about pornography and some of those different things that a lot of people struggle with, and I want to talk about that, but I just, what I want to get out of this podcast is look at a few different thought processes that I think a lot of people go through mm-hmm. when they struggle with sexual immorality, and talk about the severity of that, and how important that is, but also how there is a way out Uh, If there's anything that people take out of this podcast, if you're struggling with sexual immorality and you can bear that guilt Mm -hmm. and you bear that burden in a negative way, Mm -hmm. there is a way out. I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to talk about how this isn't a new problem. This uh, conversation we're going to have is maybe a little different. It's going to be themed out of 1 Corinthians 5 through 7. And so we're going to look at the church in Corinth and take some principles and look at some of the struggles that they were having and see how we can take that and apply that to the 21st century Christian walk. Sure. And what we can learn and what we can apply from that. Okay. So the person who's who's listening to this, um, I, we're going to be, I guess, building off the framework of we should have a common view that um, sex is a gift of God, but 
sex isn't to be enjoyed with just anyone or uh, by looking at others that, that you're not married to. That's kind of what I took from that. And so I guess we want to encourage people that there is a biblical view of sex and of sexuality. And uh, this is to encourage people to uh, hear, believe, and obey that biblical view. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, you have some statistics. Maybe that might be helpful just to uh, show how prevalent, I think is what you said earlier, how prevalent sexual immorality is, and, and meaning the uh, transgression of the biblical standard of sexuality. So take us through these stats and, and help us appreciate maybe what's going on in the real world. Yeah, so this these stats come from a survey done by actually a... Uh, a Christian organization trying to look at and survey a group. Uh, the sample size was of Christians, okay. uh, you know, supposedly in the, sure. in the universal sense, I guess. Right. Um, and so this is supposedly a Christian populace when we look at these statistics. And so these statistics say that 75% of the participants that were surveyed had had premarital sexual relations by the age of 20. Mm-hmm. By the age of 20. So that means that three quarters, three out of every four people you see had had a premarital sexual relationship by the age of 20. And by age 44, nearly 96% of people, so essentially everybody, has had some type of premarital sexual relationship. Mm. Um, the statistics go on. It says roughly 6 in 10, 58% of Americans report having watched pornography at some point in their lives, including more than one in four have watched it in the last month. And this last statistic, which I think is really important, 44% of young men had watched pornography in the last month. Right. And so, yeah, the, the sample size uh, of a scope of this survey is for people that, that try to have a biblical view of sexuality. So this is not uh, just the the world, but people that have recognized that God has a standard. It it might be helpful for me. I know this may not be in your notes, but um, what is God's standard for sex? And, and what does God expect from us to, in, in the sexual part of our um, identity to have uh, in order to obey him properly? Yeah, I'm sure there's more that you could say about this than I, but I'll, I'll give my best answer. You know, sometimes... If we weren't Christians, it's hard to look at God's standard for sexual purity and, you know, really comprehend that. But really, God has given us the best way to have a happy sexual relationship and life mm-hmm. with a partner. So God has an expectation that he all gets to decide because God designed and defined not only mankind and womankind, but marriage. Right. God created all of it in the first place. So somebody might ask, well, why does God get to decide? Well, because he created it. Mm-hmm. He created it. If you create a business, you get to decide how it runs. God created the world. He gets to decide how it runs because he's the designer and the definer of it. And God's design is marriage between one man and one woman. The two shall become one flesh and they shall not separate until death do them part. And that means that the sexual relationship is something that is only to be had within marriage. Mm-hmm. And you know, something I've thought about a lot lately is it's hard. It is hard in the 21st century in some ways to live up to that. You know, 
not to make an excuse in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, back in the old days, your dad was a carpenter, you apprenticed under him, you were 10, by the time you'd apprenticed for five years, you were 15, you went out and you got a wife. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know? But now we live in a world where that's just not really realistic. Sure. Um, we live in a world where college is a good thing to do. Uh, and by the time you're graduated from college, and I know a lot of people do it, but it is difficult to get married in college. By the time you're out of college, you're probably about 22 years old. Right. And so you think of how uh, difficult those years are from, you know, whenever puberty starts to 22, 23. It's tough. And not only that, if if, if that were it, um, I'm not going to say it would be easier than the way it was in olden days, but because of just how overly sexualized our culture is and how bombarded we are and then how easy it is to access that. I heard one uh, source say that pornography in the 21st century compared to pornography in the 20th century um, would be kind of like a kitten versus a saber-toothed tiger with lasers shooting out of its eyeballs, <laughs> like, which is silly. It's, it's true. But it's true because even pornography in the printed form, which is primarily what it was in the 20th century, versus in the digital form, which is you know the 21st century, uh, it's so easy to get a hold of. Um, the stuff and the sites and all that stuff, I'm going to do my best not to maybe give away information for anybody who might be tempted by that. But the, the sites and the, the information where you could find it is just at the the, the click of a, a phone almost, whereas a while ago it wasn't as hard. So to your point, I think in, in years past or centuries past, it's probably been easier. But you also said something earlier, and that was that there's nothing new under the sun. So sexual immorality has been a problem since almost the beginning of time. Right? 100% true. We can read, and we will, in Corinth. This isn't something that only 21st century Christians struggle with. This is something that some of the very first Christians yeah. in the first century struggled yeah. with. Yeah, and and so I think you've done a good job. Uh, Matthew 19 is what you were alluding to, as well as Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, about the one flesh principle. One man, one woman, one flesh, one life. And, and that this is God's standard. And, and people can have opinions on whether or not that's the most pleasurable standard or the most um, you know, enjoyable for them personally. But the fact remains that it's the best one um, because God knows what's best and he's the creator of it. I just wanted to share Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And so there are other scriptures as well the point that I often make is that the Bible is sex positive. It's not sex negative, where it's just talking about thou shalt never do it. It it It's simply giving us boundaries for the healthiest way to have sex, and that is one man, one woman, one flesh, one life. And these ways alleviate the guilt, the shame, um, uh, some of the... the you know, you reap what you sow so that sometimes there's consequences to sexual encounters, including STDs, unwanted pregnancies, all sorts of things. Anyway, I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole of that before your sermon gets taken off. But oh, it's okay. uh, we're, we're still on the stats of it. And then I asked you to define uh, 
um, what this biblical mandate is for sexuality. And I think, uh, yeah, we've we've determined that the, the one flesh standard that God has is the best way. It's his way. So you're going to share a lot from 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, I see. So why don't you uh, take us there and then, how about this? Why, why start there? And what is it about this place that's so important to your study? So we'll start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I think, like we've been talking about a little bit, why this stands out to me and why it's so important is because we're going to see a lot of the same problems, reactions, and even excuses from the church in Corinth that we do today. And so I think when we look at that and we look at this church in Corinth, specifically starting in 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to see a lot of really relatable feelings, Mm. a lot of really relatable feelings and thoughts that we wouldn't think that the first century Christians would have had. But guess what? They were humans the same way that we are. Right. And so we're going to see a lot of similarities. And hopefully that stands out to us. And hopefully that reaches somebody and provokes them and shows them, man, what they struggled with is what I struggle with. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I've I've told others that Paul is not the most romantic writer <laughs> when it comes to the sexual ethic, but he's the most practical writer. And so I enjoy that you're structuring your study this way because uh, this is very practical for us to see that this first century problem is just like many problems we have. So what was going on that was, you know, causing them a a big stink. Yeah, so before we read, as way of introduction, the church in Corinth really did have a really bad problem with sexual immorality. They had a man who was in a relationship with what is believed to be his stepmother while his father was still married to this woman. Right. Uh, It it was a disgusting and it, it was a gross sin, but such are sexual sins. A lot of them are gross and a lot of them are disgusting a lot of them are difficult to talk about but here's the problem there's a lot of other things that you can learn from first corinthians 5 that now is not an appropriate place to talk about sure but i want to read a couple things that paul says in first corinthians 5 starting in verse 6 he's really going to give us an insight into what the corinthians reaction was to this mm. paul says in verse 6 your glorying is not good talking about this sexual relationship in their midst do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth paul is going to call them out for a wrong and then he's going to call them to action because Mm -hmm. of what christ has done for us which he so often does but first i want to focus on this first sentence here Paul says your glorying is not good. Implying that they had been glorying. Yes. Okay, what are they glorying in? Well, apparently they're glorying in the fact that they think they are a successful congregation. They're a successful church, despite the fact that they have this gross problem of immorality. And really, I think an easy way to put this that would make sense in our mind is they were making excuses and I have a slide here which in my mind these are kind of some of the things that might have come out of the Corinthians mouth you know look the church is doing good the church is flourishing Corinth is in a moral place but look how good we're doing right this one man he's not gonna ruin it right you okay. know maybe 
well, that sin, that man, that relationship, it doesn't affect me. Right. I don't need to deal with it or, you know, we're working on it, Paul. Mm. Could you just give us some time? We're working on it. Leave Mm -hmm. us alone. The Corinthians were making all kinds of excuses for the sexual immorality problem they had in their midst. And how familiar does that sound? Yeah, this is exactly what you just said a couple minutes earlier, and that was uh, we'll find this church very relatable because their problems are problems that we've heard. And the the very excuses that you just made on behalf of the Corinthian church sound a whole lot like excuses that we make in these modern times. 100%, 100%. And think about it. Think of how familiar we are with making excuses for sins in our life. You know, I don't speak as one coming down to people. I'm not above of problems of struggling with sexual morality in my life. You know, I don't want to go into details with that, but I've fallen before and I've made mistakes. And it's something that's really relatable. And so when I look at these quotes, you know, these are things that (laughs) I've said or that other people that I've talked to about this have said. Right, and and you, you... Many times you're saying it to yourself. It's the flesh convincing the spirit to get on board with this when the spirit's trying to prick the conscience of the flesh. But if I can read them, uh, and then you can uh, maybe offer a a summarizing comment. These excuses that our flesh is giving, it's really not that big of a deal. I'll figure it out when I get married. doesn't hurt anyone else. It only happened every once in a while. God understands because I make it up in different ways. What's tough, going on man. here? It's tough, man. There's a lot of things I'd like to say, and I don't want to necessarily go through all of them, but sure. one of these that really stands out to me, and we'll talk about some other of these as we go through some of these different slides, Okay. but that last one really resonates with me. Uh, I'm really good at other things, and so this problem, this thorn I have in my flesh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I don't know if maybe that's something that a lot of other people justify or compensate for in their minds, but that's something that I definitely did. Look, I have these other skills. You know, I can give sermons. I can talk to people about the Bible. I can, you know, I can lead an average song. There's things that I can do. But God doesn't work like a scoreboard. Yes, exactly. I was thinking, that's merit-based salvation. That's Mm -hmm. what a Pharisee would think. That's exactly right. And... That's not right, but that's an easy way to compensate in your mind. But listen, that's the last thing we want. The last thing we want is to put up all of our goods and compare it to all of our bads and hope that they work, hope that the goods overweigh the bad. It's never going to happen. We are justified by faith through grace, not because of works, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's very counter what the Christian faith is even about, but it's an excuse that's easy to make. And that could be anything. You know, I'm a good church leader. I'm a good dad. I'm a good wife. I'm a good employee. So there's other things that I need to focus on. I don't have time to deal with this. I don't know if that's something that other people do in their own minds, but that's certainly something that I, I struggled with is just trying to compensate and say, well, I am good. It's okay. It's not Uh, big of a deal. I'll just validate that. Um, I do think it's way more than just you. I think it's very common, human nature, to justify self, um, to give reasons and motives for our sins. And the funny thing is we actually, we don't usually give it to others. With others, we typically have a more black and white 
you did this to me, you wronged me, but here's the reasons why whenever I did wrong, it shouldn't count because, you know, <laughs> hashtag reason. Mm-hmm. But um, I really like how you summarize it by saying these excuses are a sign of something deeper. Yeah. And would, would you take us, I guess, to that next point? Because, uh, yeah, what we're not just wanting to leave our listeners with, uh, here's all of the pathetic excuses <laughs> you had and, and shame on you for it. Yeah. But we are wanting them to, if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Romans 12 says, then this is an excellent time for us to renew ourselves. And that is to take stock of the excuse that you have been making and recognize what's really at play in your heart. So what is at play? 100%. The best way to solve a problem, first thing you got to do is identify it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these different excuses and a lot of these different reasons that we'll sometimes justify all stem from pride. Mm. They all stem from pride. And the Bible has a lot to say about pride. In fact, Proverbs 16 and 8 says so aptly about this, pride goes before destruction mm-hmm. and a haughty spirit before the fall. You know, I kind of struggle a little bit at times trying to define exactly what pride is, but in my mind, I think this is a good way to define pride. Feel free to alter this. Pride is being so full of yourself that you can't fit in God. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times when we struggle with different sexual sins, we are so worried about what we want. We're so worried about what we think. And we're so worried about maybe what other people might think of us. Sure. That we make excuses and we let our pride get the best of us. But I think it's really important to meditate on this proverb and ask, is my pride going to be the reason that I'm destroyed? Yeah. Is my pride going to separate me from God? Because if it is, I can change that because I know it. I know that I'm struggling with this pride. I know that I'm so full of myself. I can't fit in God. Listen, empty yourself. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. That was what Jesus said in yeah. the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. If we can empty ourselves and empty ourselves of what we think is right, what we worry about what others think, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. get rid of all that. Let it go. It's a burden anyways. And let God fill you up. And that will lead to the solution to not only sexual immorality, so much more than that. There are other things in our lives that we need to deal with besides just sexual immorality. If we can have a spirit where we empty ourselves and let God fill us up, an unprideful, a humble spirit, right? man, what good we can do. Well, yeah, that, then, then you truly are the empty vessel to be filled with treasure a hundred percent instead of filled up with your own self and there's no room for the treasure to get in so to go back to our you know biblical metaphor from earlier now pride may be the reason behind the excuses but uh you also highlight that this is that the, the behavior is what's going to get judged mm-hmm. in the end and I, man, that's such an important distinction to make because uh what i do in therapy you know this is a different career path or whatever, but uh, we do talk a whole lot about the motive and, and what's going on, what are you feeling, and and we don't focus as much on the behaviors because the behaviors are just you know, the, the symptoms of what's going on inside, but spiritually, there's consequences to our actions, and so we can understand the motive of pride, 
or the motive of uh, being, you know, uh, weak and, and, and lustful in, in, our, in our heart or in our eyes. But the behavior that gets judged is sexual immorality. And you bring that up in your study. Uh, at this point, you share Revelation 21 and 8. Uh, what are you trying to tell the audience whenever you bring that up? I just want to emphasize now, I know it's hard and it's uncomfortable to talk about anything that has to do with condemnation or the judgment of sin. And I agree, it is uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it isn't necessary. And I think at the end of the day, we have to remember that God is the judge and he loves us and he wants nothing more than for us to repent. But at the same time, we have to understand the severity of the sin. And Revelation 21.8 makes this really clear. The Bible says there, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, you know, honestly, that is a, it's a verse that kind of sends chills through my body when I read it. It's an uncomfortable verse, but I think it's an important verse to meditate on. God takes sexual immorality very seriously. Mm -hmm. It's something that God hates. Mm -hmm. And even more so, like we talked about, God has given us a way to express those feelings and so it's not like he's trying to rip it away from us and just want us to look down on us and be pitiful and miserable. But he takes sexual immorality very seriously, and we need to remember that. We need to know that this isn't just something that God can just look at, and if we're not willing to repent of it, just overlook and say, you know what, I, get, I guess it's okay. No, this is something that God has to judge. If God is going to be just, if God is going to be holy, he has to to judge sexual immorality mm -hmm. along with all these other things. And really, you know, as I go through, and not to hearken back too much, but as I go through excuses in my mind, well, you know, you know, sexual immorality is not that big of a deal. Well, look, God puts this with murder. <laughs> right. God puts murder and sexual immorality on the same tier. And I don't like to tear sins, but we all think murder's wrong. Right. If you murdered somebody, you'd be guilty and everybody would feel the same way. We don't feel that same way towards sexual morality. Mm -hmm. God does. Mm-hmm. God does. Mm -hmm. You're making me think of Romans 11:22. Behold the goodness and severity of God. And in the context of that, you know, goodness to those who are faithful, severity to those who are, are not faithful. But in this regard, there is, when it comes to sexuality, there is goodness and severity. And while we're we're focusing in a sermon on sexual immorality more on the severity of of those that disobey God. There is a goodness as well to uh, of finding pleasure in what God has made for us to enjoy within a marriage relationship. Um, but, but the point that you're making, and that was just a scripture that popped in my mind, is that if we're going to draw it back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that this little thing can spoil a whole lot. And it uses that scripture, a little leaven level, leavens the whole lump. 100%. I'd like to look at that. Paul asks them a question, you know, rhetorically. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6? And if you're not, people aren't familiar with what leaven is, it was basically yeast, right? And so in the old world, you put a little bit of leaven in your bread and it would make it rise. And a lot of the times it was used to uh, symbolically of sin. Mm -hmm. But, you know, actually Jesus used it positively too. Sure. But uh, the point is a little bit, infuses the whole can ruin a big yeah. thing and as we go back and we talk about 
those excuses, you know, one of those excuses I put on there is, you know what? It's not that big of a deal, and it really only affects me. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I want to talk about pornography. Mm-hmm. I think that's really a good coping mechanism for somebody who is bearing the guilt of wrong when they know that they shouldn't be watching pornography. They'll say something, or they'll justify in their mind something along the lines of, well, you know, it's just me alone in my room, or wherever. Right. It, it, it just affects me, and... You know, I'm an unmarried man. There's a lot that I don't know, and I am not so haughty as to think that I know everything. But I will say, pornography is not a sin that only affects you. That's right. It will affect everybody you come in contact with. It That's will right. affect how you view the world. It will affect everything, mm-hmm. your thought process, what wakes you up, what motivates you. Pornography is so serious, and it is not just something that you can just turn on turn off and not think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. It ruins so many things. You're absolutely right. Um, there's a, a website that I highly recommend people, people check out. Maybe you've uh, visited. It's called Fight the New Drug. Fightthenewdrug.org is, uh, an, a, I don't want to call it anti-porn, but it's a consider-before-you-consume mindset. And they really are about advocating for uh, the the downsides to this scientifically are a lot more than the upsides are, and and so it's a a good website. It, it's not a Bible based website, so just know that going into it. But one of the things that they talk about in this specific idea that porn only affects me; it doesn't affect anybody else. I'm I'm alone. They'll make the claim there's an entire industry of people who are being sexually exploited that exists because you consume it. And if we wouldn't consume it, then there are a lot of people who are uh, put on drugs who then are forced to perform so that they can get their next hit. You know, people who are sold into sex slavery, people who are doing things without consent. It's just, it's massive, the scale of who's being bothered. And that person, whoever you're looking at, is somebody's daughter or somebody's son, somebody's sister, somebody's brother. And they're made in the image of God. And so whatever choices, even if it is this quote-unquote ethically sourced pornography, which I think is laughable, but ethically sourced pornography is still involving people who are made in the image of God and us abusing them by, uh, I guess, committing fornication with our eyes whenever we look at them. So I'm with you big time. that this, this affects more than just you alone in your room. And for those who uh, either, I mean, for both, whether you're married or unmarried, it distorts the way you look at your spouse. There's the idea that um, that the perfect person has this form that's really unachievable by 99.99999% of people. It's not fair uh, to, to your spouse to look at this specimen and think that they're supposed to look exactly like that. And uh, we'll see if this makes the cut or not. But this disturbs me that the top 10 most downloaded videos on Pornhub are videos that display violence. And so, again, what people are learning that is normal behavior is abnormal. It's not consenting adults it's somebody dominating 
and and making their the, their partner miserable. And then this idea of it's not bothering you. Well, if you take that mindset into your marriage bed, then that marriage bed is being defiled. And the scriptures say we're not supposed to defile the marriage bed. 100%. So. Well, that's why this is so important to me. And this is what comes to my mind. That's how a drug works. Mm -hmm. When you start taking a drug, say you start taking cocaine, you probably take a really small amount. But you take more and you take more sure. and you take more. And that small amount doesn't give you the same hit. Exactly. And so you are taking way more than you originally would when you started. Mm -hmm. And pornography is just like that. Mm -hmm. It You're getting the same type of, just to skim over the slide, you're getting the same type of dopamine hits from yep. pornography as you are from drugs. I mean, they're on the same tier. It's essentially a drug. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stop it, you're just going to want to chase that dragon. And you're mm -hmm. just going to keep going and going and going. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And that's why it's so important to stop now. Mm -hmm. Somebody out there might be so deep in, they think, listen, I can't stop. You've got to. Mm -hmm. You've got to because it's only going to get worse. And I didn't know exactly where I wanted to talk about this. It's not in my slides, but something that I think is so important is normalizing talking about this. Normalizing talking about pornography. Normalizing a culture of confession. Mm -hmm. Um that is so important. The worst thing that we as the body of Christ can do for people is isolate them and cut them off sure. and make them feel like there's nobody that they can talk to. Mm -hmm. And we need to realize that for those people who are struggling, you have a relatable problem. Now, you don't need to have experienced someone's problem to help them. I don't believe that at all. Right. But in this case, a lot of people understand. And a lot of people struggle. And I know that with pornography, you just feel like you're the worst person in the world. When you're struggling with it, you feel like there is nobody out there that is worse than me. Right. I am the worst person out there. I am so lost. Right. But it's not true. Mm. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, you have not been overcome by such as is common to man. The things that you are struggling with are common to mankind. Sure. And that is true. I say that every time in the invitation. Your sin is not something that everybody else doesn't understand because guess what? They've all struggled with some sin at some point in their lives. That's why we all need God because mm -hmm. we've all struggled with sin at some point in our lives. So we just want to normalize this, to talk about this. And don't worry if somebody's going to sit there and have some sort of judgmental attitude towards you. Shame on them. We're going to take a break right there. And I'm going to ask you to come back next week for the second part of this conversation. Russell just talked about hope in that and how one ought to have hope in the midst of temptation and trials. And if others are simply judging and uh, unable to offer you some hope whenever you come clean about some of these things, then that person may not be very safe for you to deal with. And uh, we're going to jump next week into more discussion on this. I really want you to come back. And until then, you can go to the website and check out all the content that's there for you to use and download absolutely free. And until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true.
about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.